Before we read the scripture uh, for this morning, I would like to just encourage you to pay attention to the names in the scripture. They're a little bit odd, but uh, they're very important, and we're going to talk about those in the sermon. So pay attention to the names, and following the scripture, there will be a moment of silence. The scripture this morning comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Listen now to the word of the Lord. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. This is the Lord. When Rob told me we were going to be working through the minor prophets this summer and asked me which I would like to preach on, I jumped at the chance to preach on Hosea. I have preached on it before, and the message always grips at my heart. For me, it is a fantastic story of being pulled from the depths of our sin into a redemptive, transformative love, into a new reality of who we are and who God created us to be. And that is a message that I will shout from the rooftops every chance I get. In the first chapter of Hosea, God gives Hosea two instructions. Number one, he tells him to marry a wife of whoredom. And yes, that word comes up a lot in the scripture, and it's going to come up a lot in the sermon. Um, but I didn't write the Bible, so we got to preach on it. Um, so he's, first of all, is told, okay, go marry yourself a wife of whoredom. Now, depending on the translation you read, that word may be a little bit different because scholars don't always agree on what the words mean. So it could be that she was promiscuous. It could be that she was adulterous. She could have also been a prostitute. We don't really know. But all of the translations point to one common fact, that Hosea's wife committed transgressions of some sort uh, against him, sexual transgressions. And so Hosea's new wife, Gomer, is unfaithful to him. That we know for certain. And then the second instruction that God gives to Hosea is that because of Gomer's unfaithfulness, he is to have children of whoredom. So it wasn't enough that he had to go marry this very specific woman that God chose for him, but 
he said, you're going to have to have children with her as well. And once again, we don't know a whole lot about what that exactly means. It could just be they were considered children of whoredom because they came from her, and, and that was kind of what we thought of or what they thought of her. It could also be that they were products of her unfaithfulness. That, again, is unknown. But either way, uh, really a dramatic story of um, God's instruction to this one man. So first we're going to talk about Gomer, his wife. And just one word comes to my mind when I hear about a woman such as the adulteress Gomer. And that's the word unworthy. Who is she to marry a righteous man like Hosea, a prophet of God? Who is she to bear his children and raise them? If Hosea were your brother or your child or your friend, how would you feel to see him with the likes of her? A lying, cheating, supposedly dirty woman, right? That was how she would have been looked at. Would you sit idly by and watch him throw his life away? Or would you tell him to find somebody more worthy of his love? Or would you just accept her as a part of his and your life and pretend she did nothing wrong? Those are the choices that we have to make in our lives sometimes because of the relationships that we have and the relationships other people in our lives choose to have. Feeling that friends and spouses of our loved ones do not live up to our expectations for them is a dilemma that we also find ourselves in from time to time. It's a dilemma that Hosea's family and friends probably found themselves in as well. Now, many years ago, a book came out called Redeeming Love uh, by Francine Rivers. Many of you probably have read it, uh, but it's now been made into a movie. It just came out this year, and so it makes it, once again, a perfect illustration for today's sermon, uh, because now you can go out and watch it, and it uh, feels a little bit more modern than the few years ago. That's probably more like 12 <laughs> that I'm talking about. <laughs> so in this book, um, it's a more modern rendering of Hosea. It's set in the 1800s, and it's about a woman who was sold into prostitution at a young age after the death of her mother. She grew up knowing only the life of the flesh, the life of someone surrounded by ugliness. She knew herself only as Angel, the name that was given to her by Duke, the man who sold her body. When Michael Hosea, a man with a strong faith in God, swept her off of her feet, she didn't know what to think or what to do. She was surprised, angry, scared, and hesitant. They married soon after they met and moved out to a farmland to build a life together. But as time went on, Angel struggled with her feelings of being unworthy of his love. She fought with him, she ran away from him, and she was unfaithful to him. Because even though Michael gave her yet another new name, Amanda, to help separate her from her old life, Angel couldn't get past Angel. She still couldn't even remember her birth name, the name that she went by as a child before Duke took her life over. She couldn't get past herself. Michael's friend Paul didn't help matters. Having met her while she was at the brothel, he was constantly reminding her that she was a fraud and unworthy of Michael, telling her that she wasn't good enough and could never change. He encouraged her when she ran away, and he did everything he could to ruin their marriage. The parallels between the story in Redeeming Love and that from the book of Hosea are quite evident. Both Hosea and Michael Marry women who have led a miserably sinful life, women who seem unworthy of love and do not deserve 
a righteous man. So why? Why does God instruct Hosea to marry such a woman? Well, God himself tells us why in our scripture. He says, because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The image of God as husband and Israel as his bride is common, and the scripture uses it very well. The bride of God, Israel, is unfaithful. The people are neglecting God. They're turning to false gods like Baal, the storm god of the Canaanite pantheon. They're worshiping his different manifestations at local shrines. And they're at war with the Assyrians, with assassinations and revolutions going on all around them. It's not really a pretty place to be. And so like any husband whose wife is committing adultery, or any wife whose husband is committing adultery, God is angry at his spouse. God is angry at his bride Israel. He is angry at his people for turning away from him and committing the vilest adultery. And I think we can venture to agree that Hosea wasn't exactly jumping for joy at being married to the unfaithful Gomer. Hosea may have done what God instructed, but he was likely very angry with, Hosea, with Gomer's behavior as well. And as much as Michael continued to show love to Angel, he had to be tired of and hurt by her constant betrayal, always running away from him, always being unfaithful to him. And now let's talk about the children. So I told you before the sermon to pay close attention to the names. Um, they, sound, they sounded odd, but they're important. But what's even more important than the names themselves is the fact that God chose their names. As each child is born, God tells Hosea what they are to be called. Just as Gomer represents the unfaithful Israel, each child symbolically represents the deteriorating state of Israel and the punishment and the destruction that was to come because of her unfaithfulness. So the first son, Jezreel, means literally God sows. This refers to the valley of Jezreel, which is nestled in the northern hill country of Israel. It is beautiful and lush with fruited plants. But it is also the site of a horrific religious and political massacre that took place during the reign of King Jehu, as well as many other battles and travesties. So it was beautiful, but it was just also this place of massacre and destruction. In this valley where God has sown beauty and Israel has brought destruction with its bow, God will punish Israel and sow peace. He means to specifically punish the house of Jehu, which still reigned in Israel at this time. And he's going to bring an end to Israel's power. The second child is a daughter, Lo Ruhamah, meaning literally she is not pitied or there is no mercy. The word for pitied is ruhamah, which is associated with the word rechem, or womb. This is significant because God's maternal compassion comes from the divine womb. In other words, God will no longer have compassion for Israel. And the third child, another son, is lo-ami, meaning literally not my people. The complete opposite of the formula of God's declarative covenant with Israel, you will be my people and I will be your God. God is not declaring that they are not his people because of his lack of love for them, but simply because they have broken their part in their covenant with God. They have nullified it. And God did so punish Israel, 
for their transgressions just in the ways that are predicted by the names of these children. The last king of Jehu's dynasty, Zechariah, was assassinated during the time frame of Hosea's ministry, just as Jezreel's name indicates. God wants Israel to see that it is by war that the people of God will not be saved, but by God's own hands. And there comes lo Ruhamah. He withdraws his compassion. His love and concern for them will no longer draw him to action on their behalf. And because of that, they are defeated by the Assyrians in 721 BC. Israel's own military could not save them, and God refused to do so. And then third, Loami, he punishes them for their behavior by telling them that they are not his people so that they can feel their shame. It is the culmination of the other two punishments that in the end looks to be a disavowal of them. It is very easy to leave someone or a people to their own destruction when you no longer have a covenant obligation to them. That all sounds very disheartening, doesn't it? God punishing and seemingly abandoning his people, although obviously they abandoned him first. But then the good news comes. Because in verse 10, we are told that in the same breath as verse 9, that God never stopped loving his people Israel. God tells Hosea, Yet the number of the people of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which can be neither measured nor numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not your, I am not, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. We see that the story of the unfaithful whore of a wife who is brought into the arms of a prophet of the Lord is symbolic of the unconditional love that God has for his people. Hosea, through his actions, shows us that although God was angry with the people of Israel for their unfaithfulness, for breaking their side of the covenant with God, God had not broken his. God has punished Israel for their disobedience, for their betrayal, but he doesn't forsake them. God intends on remaining in a covenant relationship with his people. He intends on continuing to love them and to bless them. In chapter 11 of Hosea, further down, God says, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. And in chapter 14, God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And one of the ways that God ended up doing that, the final complete way, was through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the good news for us, that in Jesus Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. We have a new beginning, forever secured in him, forever secured in the one who never stops loving us. So when we first began talking about Hosea and Gomer, I want to know who did you 
see yourself as? Like, if you were to put yourself into that story, who did you relate to? Because I think that it's tempting to look at the story as outside of the realm of our being. It's easy just to kind of look at it like you're watching a movie, maybe a soap opera, right, because it's pretty saucy. Um, it, it, it's tempting to just think of yourself as not being even in the realm of possibility of being in that story. It's, te it's tempting to think of ourselves as the family members of those with the issues, as I alluded to earlier. But let's face the facts. Our lives are not always hunky-dory. We all still sin. We still disobey. We still do things that are displeasing to God. We are Gomer, each one of us, because we're the people of God. So sometimes we do things that are unfaithful to God. But let me take you back to Michael and Angel from Redeeming Love for a second to illustrate what I think goes on with many of us. I told you that Angel struggled with her feelings of being unworthy and fought against the love of her husband and her God. She put up a wall that wouldn't let her get past herself. Angel knew who she had been as a prostitute, but she didn't believe in who she could come to be, who God created her to be. Angel knew who she, who she only knew who she was before. And the problem that I think we all have is that once we realize we have a problem, it is easier to remain where we are, sinful and low, than to climb up out of our hole and do better. The old way is easier and more comfortable than the new way. The unknown is scary. And, and who wants to enter a place that scares us? Change is scary. So some of us, when we um, met our new friend group or maybe when we met our spouse, uh, maybe we were the life of the party, right? You know those people who are just real gregarious and always fun. Maybe they like to drink a lot. Um, and then as time goes on, you know, let's say it's me. It's not me, but maybe <laughs> let's pretend I'm that person, okay? Um, you know, as time goes on, you begin to mature. You say, this isn't really who God created me. I don't want to be that person anymore. And then what happens around you in your relationships with the people around you? Um, it can be terrifying because we don't know if we're going to be the same person once we change, when we take off that outer shell that you think attracts people to you, right? Are, are people going to look at you for you? Uh, or another example would be um, somebody like Lee Strobel. Have you all heard of Lee Strobel? We watched one of his videos recently. Um, so he and his wife were not Christians. And his wife found Christ in the, middle of, in the midst of their relationship after being married many, many years. And it was really, really hard for Lee Strobel to accept. Because he was like, this is not who you are. You are not a Christian. Uh, I, I don't get this. I'm not going there with you. Uh, and, it, and it was a struggle in their relationship uh, because how their relationship was founded is now changing. People have to be willing to watch you grow and encourage you to grow and to grow with you, uh, even if they don't necessarily agree. So whether it's, you know, Christian or life of the party, whatever it is, we ask ourselves, well, will our friends still like us? Will our husband or wife still like us? this new me that I'm turning into? 
Will I still be fun? Can I keep up this change, or will I look like a hypocrite when I stumble, right? We all get accused of that, being hypocrites when we stumble, uh, because we don't like to admit that people stumble. We don't like to give people grace. No, it's much easier to stay where we are than to not even try, because we don't want to deal with those questions. We don't want to deal with that defeat, that anxiety, that fear of the unknown, of what's going to come from the changes that take place in our lives, even if the changes are good. Right? I mean, these are good changes. But you still have to deal with the ramifications. So if we're to say we're like Gomer, we get caught up in feeling unworthy. But friends, God wants us to grow and to change and to prosper, just like Israel. He loves us. And we may very well feel unworthy on our own. We might feel like we're not worthy of the good changes that God wants for our lives. But the good news is that God is the one who gives us our worth. So it's okay if you come to the cross feeling unworthy. Because when you get there, you're filled with the love and the grace and the worth that God fills you with, that God gives to you just because of who he created you to be. Interestingly enough, Hosea and Gomer themselves have names that lend great meaning to our message. I mean, let's be real, those are odd names still too, right? Hosea and Gomer. Hosea means salvation, and Gomer means whole. What an amazing name for somebody who when we read this story, we see, we see her as unworthy. But her name means whole. God's salvation makes us whole despite our unworthiness. God's choosing us, God's loving us, God's forgiving us over and over again in and of itself makes us worthy. And Hosea's love for Gomer, salvation and wholeness. Now, G.K. Chesterton, an English writer and theologian, has a great saying about the fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. He says, the great lesson of Beauty and the Beast is that a thing must be loved before it is lovable. The Beast was not lovable. He was monstrous and scary. And it wasn't until Belle loved him that he turned into a handsome prince and thus became lovable. And so it is with us. In our fallen state, we are monstrous and unlovable, whoring ourselves out to the world around us, but God loves us anyway, which makes us lovable. Without God, there is not love, because God is love. 1 John chapter 4 says, Love comes from God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And so, friends, we don't have to be afraid of not being worthy, of not being loved, or of the person that we will change into. 
The new beginnings that God calls us into, and yes, I said beginnings, plural, because our lives are constantly changing and growing. It is an ongoing process of sanctification, of becoming more holy. Those new beginnings that we are called into are safe because God loves us and he gives us his grace and forgiveness. We may stumble, we may fall, but we're trying and we are seeking God's righteousness. In Redeeming Love, Michael believed in Angel, and so did God. Throughout the whole book, he remains faithful and reassuring to her, and God repeatedly comes to her with a soft, still voice and encourages her to be who he knows she really is. God encourages her to stop denying his presence and to allow him to embrace her. And most striking of all, God calls her by name. The birth name that she didn't remember, Sarah. She ended up having to leave Michael to find herself again and to allow herself to be loved by God. But she was able eventually to go back to him and allow herself to be loved by Michael as well. In Hosea, Gomer has a new beginning when Hosea begins to love her and pays a debt for her. God is repeatedly coming to you. He is speaking you to, to you to make the changes in your life that you need to make, whatever those may be. It may be scary. It may be hard. But believe me when I tell you that it is worth it. Doing right by the God whose love made you lovable and seeking to be his new creation is always worth it. Put down your walls. Step out of yourself and be transformed by Christ Jesus who paid the debt for your sin and redeemed your life. He redeemed your life with his love, and it is a love that is everlasting. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you so much that your love is a redeeming love, that it is a transforming love, and we just ask that you continue to draw us near to you, to embrace us with your love, and to help us to feel comforted, comforted enough to change, to be better than we are this day. And every day to continue to seek to be better and better and to be more like you. God, we thank you for the examples of people who have come before us. And we pray that we will be examples for those who will come after us. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.